This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Kwandamooka people and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 95 for Monday 23rd of May 2022. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest hosts are returning guest hosts Denise Pioko and Brandon Selleck. Hello. Hello. Uh, guys, okay, I know that Right now, you're feeling a bit raw. That'd be that'd be a fair assessment. Yes, I think so. Yes. It, it is depressing that not only does Scummo and the Libs get not not only do they get that three years from 2019, but they're going to get another three years from 2022 because the ALP flubbed it again, and that is hard to swallow. Very, especially that they the campaign they ran was was just a horrifying thing. Well, the bit that gets me the most is that. Our standard of living has dropped so much in the last three years that it's just staggering the idea that a government can somehow scrape over the line when they keep punching us all in the face as hard as they do. Hmm. Well, they do say that calling it the next Great Recession is just, <clears throat> you know, lefty propaganda and that they're great economic managers. Yeah, I, I mean, I really thought after... Well, I really thought in 2019 where people were already struggling that um, they might remember that and thank the government that had put them in that position. But obviously the ALP failed to take that fight to them. And it's very depressing, but I, I, can, I, can I suggest something to the two of you? I'm actually feeling hope now for the first time in a long time. Now, I remember after Scummo scraped back in in 2019, uh, you know, after they first of all were trumpeting what a great victory it was, and then it turned out it was a one-seat victory anyway. It was just the same as Malcolm Turnbull's, you know, crushing, scraping over the line from three years earlier. But this one apparently was a glorious victory because you you get that when you've got the entire media on your side. But do you remember when he scraped through? We still had hope, and we turned around. We did. I remember we did two podcasts right after the 2019 election where we actually talked about, uh, we made suggestions for the ALP. We actually pointed out to them how they could actually double down on what they were doing, but in a way that was politically saleable, because clearly what the lesson of the 2019 election was is that the Australian electorate responds to fear. Mm. So the, the way you deal with it then is you don't you know, abandon the idea of having progressive principles and actually standing having policies that provide public services and help people, but you do get better at sheeting home people's difficulties mm. to the mob in charge. and the, and, and more than that, um, make them af- point out to them that they should be afraid of what will happen next. And the the obvious example was like right after the 2019 election, which the Libs had been screaming about was you know going to be about people's power prices being high and how they were going to get them lower. Like the day after the election, the power prices jumped, and the ALP could have seized on it. Can you imagine if the ALP had seized on that? And for every time for the last three years, power prices had gone up, they'd been pointing out that that was the Libs. That's the Libs' policies. They're running your power prices up. If you, if they say in power, you know, coal is more expensive than renewables. The Libs are pushing your prices up. Well, you know, we did have to uh, try to 
mortgage the uh, re, re uh, up the loan on the car last year to pay off our electricity bills. So I, I can understand. That. I think I think most people have sold their houses to pay electricity bills by this point. Yeah. But I mean, this is the thing. Like, the cost of living was already bad then, and it's got worse. And the idea that that the ALP considers itself like a, a major party and can't sheet home to the people in power that it's that it's their policies that are doing it. Like, it that that whole. I remember we were pointing out at the time that $387 billion... Um, remember how the, the, the leader screamed that, that the Labor Party was going to bring in $387 billion of additional taxes or higher taxes mm. or whatever how they phrased it. And the ALP never turned around and said, that's that's not $387 billion of higher taxes. That's $387 billion of um, giveaways that they're giving to their mates that you'll have to pay for. You're paying for that. That franking credit, $57 billion, you pay that. If you don't, haven't heard about franking credits, mm. do you remember when the, when the ALP was actually going to shut down that rort? Well, that was back in the day before they were aping all the liberal policies mm. and trying to be the Liberal Party junior. And that's the thing. So th- this, is what, this is why I'm feeling hope today because I haven't had hope since... Um, a couple of weeks after the 2019 election, when it became apparent that the ALP wasn't going to take the fight to the Libs, their plan to win in 2022 was to become a pale, an even paler imitation of the Libs, endorse all of their lines on nonsense like refugees and tax cuts, and um, that that was that at le- you know they were selling out their principles, but at least it was going to be electorally beneficial. At least it was going to win them power. Uh. And as we see, May 2022, guess what? didn't win the power. It did nothing. Ceding the argument to your opponents actually not only is politically un, uh, uh, unethical and unprincipled and pointless, because like if you win and you don't have a mandate to do any of the things you need to do, then what was the point of winning um, other than to not be quite as bad as the previous mob? But worse than that, it doesn't even work because if you're, not, if you're a pale imitation of your opponents and you do that by aping all of their lines, you can't argue with their lines. Like right now, in this election we just had, they couldn't even stand up there and say... Um, they were no longer able to push for public spending on things that would actually help people because the revenue wasn't there. There's a $387 billion hole that the Libs cut in the budget right after that, mm. for that 2019 election by giving it away in tax cuts. Like, that money's not there anymore. The ALP didn't stand up against it, and they can't even stand up now and say, hey, we at least fought about against the problem. The fact that the deficit has now quadrupled, we at least, we're the party that was fighting that, because they can't say that because they voted for yeah, it Yeah, they were, they were complicit in a lot of the problems even prior to the 2019 election. I mean... You may remember just after that election, all the um, all the raids that were done on journalists, oh, yeah. and that- all those all those all those additional security provisions were rubber stamped by the Labor opposition. They were they were I remember they were actually under the previous lot that the ALP had rubber stamped. So yeah. it wasn't even using the second yeah. lot that they rubber stamped just before the election that wouldn't have even yeah. got through otherwise. Mm. But but I mean, and I remember right after that you had the. So they raided. They they started raiding. It wasn't just the ABC. They raided, they raided news, a corp news corp as well. Journalist. At home, and yeah. So look, it's hard. It's hard to look back over the last three years and be like, "Hey, we missed out on all these stories," because of course we never heard them. But it does feel like there've been a lot fewer stories revealing um, the kind of stuff that the, that the story was that they were raiding the ABC about, which was yeah. I think what the, the Australian military had been doing because of, and there'd been some leaks from whistleblowers. We just don't find that stuff out anymore. No, and there's no accountability to it. Like Media Watch, I don't know if you remember even further back during the Howard years, Media Watch was so heavily nerfed about what they could, could and couldn't cover. And the same things happened in the last three years. I think within a month or two after the 2019 election, um, Paul Barry got fired 
from Media Watch. I, I assumed that we were never. I assumed Media Watch was gone forever. Mm. But, I, but then I forgot what they do actually do is they like to bring these things, keep them in there, so they've got the appearance mm. of it. Yeah. But then just you know, I, I think Alan Jones was a weird host for Media Watch. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird choice, but you know. I mean, the show's kept going. Mm. Um, it has a lot more ads than it used to. Yeah, it's really not the same. Mm. Well, he, he stops every five minutes to advertise for, like, power tools. Mm. And I, I would say that they, you know, really sort of deconstructed Quanda and made it worse, but... Oh, look, that wasn't, that was that wasn't hard. Yeah, I, I've, no. I've yeah. hated Quanda for the last six years, so... <laughs> but back then it was only the bad show. Now it's, like, the evil show. <laughs> like, it's, you know, there, there, like there, there is that, that uh, prayer to Cthulhu at the beginning, <laughs> yes. which I think is probably <laughs> I don't know. I actually don't think prayers to Cthulhu are protected under the religious freedom law. I only think Christian well, that was the funny thing about that. When they so when they finally brought that in, um, and so first they were only going to they, they were the, even under Scummo they were still going to only do a, a limited version, which was just like religious uh, adding religion as one of the protected categories, as if your religion is like your gender or your race or your sexuality is like so rather than a what religion is, which is a political belief that has a metaphysical aspect to it. No, this this is apparently anyway they made that a protected. They were going to make that a protected category, which seemed like a, a weird elevation of it. But then the backbench rebelled and they they brought in this these special new privileges. But of course, because they're incompetent as well as evil. They didn't realize that it was going to be used against them by other religions, and so they've had a whole. They've been almost funny the the cases that we've seen of other religions actually using those same laws against Christians because they thought they could get away with drafting in a way that was that seemed to be just benefiting themselves, but actually applied to any religion, including the ones that weren't them. But do you remember the olive branch? Do you remember the olive branch they offered after that after that revolt? Where they, because they still insisted on reading the Lord's Prayer in as the opening of Parliament, so they decided, oh, we'll bring in other religions to give a prayer, and then that one week, that minister from the Satanic Church turned up. That stopped after that. That was great, though, and and it. it I was. It, it was it, fantastic. It, of, it it's sad that it made me think of America in a pleasant way, but it made me think of an America <laughs> where the Satanic Church um, challenged all those anti-abortion laws that were going through in two thousand and nineteen. On, on the basis mm. of religion. Yeah, when, when, I, mm. I want to get back to the idea that I'm now feeling hope again. And it has been particularly in um, short supply since... We all know what happened in 2020. You sure it's not just the Stockholm Syndrome? No, there is there is a reason. And it's only, it's only <laughs> strange. Obviously, after 2020 in America, the world... Like, we're all doomed anyway. But um, at least in Australia, I, I have some hope. Because for the first time... Like, obviously, the ALP have now turfed Albo, and uh, he's gone, and there is now an opportunity, which probably, in, to be realistic, um, probably that all my hope left at the time that it was Albo, because Albo was already so much on on the um, record of endorsing a bunch of loop policies, yes. in particular things like turnbacks, but um, he was already so much on the record that as soon as they locked in behind him, my hope sort of disappeared, because he can't really stand for anything progressive when they've got all the, all the recordings of him uh, advocating for the opposite. Um, and then, of course, it just drained out completely as soon as they started doing what they did. Well, I suppose I suppose it's probably worth having a chat about that in a moment, about the stuff that they did that where it went wrong, because now we're in 2022, looking at 2025, yeah. hoping that we can do something. And that's why I feel hope today. I feel this is the first time for three years, three years, that I have that there's been a prospect of the ALP actually taking the fight to the libs. Um, and now's the time to do it. While they're beaten into the dirt again, and hopefully they can turn on the people who took them there, being the right of the party, and say, you've just had another three years. We've followed your line. It's been a disaster. Again, 
Let's try something else. Wait, no, no, I've just had breaking news come into my phone. Right. They're going with Christina Keneally as the new party leader. Oh, no, they're not. Oh, what? <laughs> okay. No, I don't, I don't believe that. I won't believe it until I, I see it, you know, imprinted into my eyes for the, the laser thing that now operates instead of a screen. Anyway, let's go back to 2019 and, and, and the strange stuff they were doing straight afterwards. So, um, so this is before... Before living standards got quite as bad as they are now, but they were still getting worse. Before they started having to build the biodomes for us to move into because the environment was failing. Wages were flat. Um, Housing skyrocketed right after the election. Energy prices skyrocketed after the election. These were perfect opportunities for the ALP to call the libs to account because this is all cost of living stuff that really hits voters. Yeah, and we had the and we had the shadow of the of the recession on the horizon. I think like within two weeks after the last election, after the twenty nineteen election, and they still denied it. Frydenberg went on. What was he? like there was, I just remember that footage of Frydenberg, like just bla- boldly stating that the figures were quite fine and everything was going to be great. Like as the whole thing was collapsing around him. Yes, the third consecutive quarter of a GDP decrease. Yeah. I just oh, and and then the, do you remember the um, when I don't know. It's even hard to imagine that there was ever an opportunity, a moment when our carbon emissions went down. But you know, and obviously now that we've had to add a, add a whole new level color after purple. Do you remember back in 2019? That was when the it wasn't. It hadn't quite hit Australia at that point that we were going to get these like constant fifty degree summers, but all of all of India was hitting you know fifty degrees throughout that uh, throughout that summer in the middle of twenty nineteen, um, mm. and we were like, maybe that won't come here. <laughs> Can you like before the bureau had to add another color after purple? Oh yeah, the polka dot was kind of an interesting choice, but I guess <laughs> they were sort of gone on the spectrum. But what what can you do? I actually, I actually don't mind it. that were everywhere. Oof. Look, I actually preferred that they were going to go with a shimmering colour to like highlight how terrifying it was, but it's hard to do that in print. So I get that the polka dots kind of made some sense. Um, but yes, as soon as that election was over, because remember, just I, I, Brandon, do you remember this? Just before the election, um, there that, that bit where Barry Cassidy was in uh, interviewing that Barry Cassidy used to be on um, Insiders before it was you know actually yeah, run out of I remember yeah. yeah I remember him I remember he re- he had announced his retirement just before the 2019 election so I think he saw the writing on the wall but uh, you remember he had that thing with Angus Taylor where Angus Taylor was pretending that, that emissions weren't rising because he had like there was a temporary blip down from one oh. and they were sitting on even even though the figures had already started jumping again mm. they sat on that report that the next lot of figures until like two or three weeks after yes the and, yeah and there was the rally to get the figures out and they sat on it because they didn't know how to spin it. it took them two weeks to come up with a way to spin the rise in emissions oh my god did you say, yes uh, Brandon tell, tell, can you remind us like I they had to reveal that the price that the figures had gone up, and they tried to do it. What was it? There's something about compare that that we were taking on those emissions for the rest of the world. Or something yeah, like yes, they were saying like, in in context of the rest of the world, we were taking on these emissions, ignoring the fact that the under the previous um, Labor government's uh, carbon tax, it had gone down significantly. But under the uh, Liberal Party's, uh, what is that? I can't remember what their emission scheme was called. It might have just been called the emission scheme. It had spiked dramatically and it kept going up. It was up. called direct action or something? No, yeah. that was, that was, under Abbott it was called direct action. Mm. But under um, Turnbull and uh, Morrison it was called something else. But yeah, but yeah, Angus Taylor, who'd already proven he was bad with numbers in a lot of ways after that whole water thing. Um, How the hell did he get away with that? Like, there was no consequence to him and, and <laughs> Joyce... In the end, at all? No, like, no, no. The fact that Joyce managed to get back as leader of the National Party blows my mind. In in hindsight, really. Well, not not in the world where Trump's just been reelected. Oh yeah, yeah. It's... We have 
Well, as I say, in hindsight, I mean, yeah, we, 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 once once Trump got back in, it very much felt like, yeah, all right, that makes a bit of sense now. And and Trump getting in was inevitable when Boris Johnson became the UK Prime Minister. Oh, like, man, just, I got drunk. Is, I got drunk that day. I tell you, <laughs> I can't. I don't, anyway, I can't process that stuff. But look, today surely is an opportunity to look to talk to the ALP of twenty twenty two, and look at point them to where they went wrong in exactly the same space in 2019 and one of the examples i thought was worth having a chat about was what christina keneally did when she became um well that's right where they they aped the liberals home affairs ministry um which was already terrifying back then like okay it wasn't quite the rampaging behemoth as that is today but it was still like combining all of those forces into one under one minister was always a terrifying Mm. orwellian nightmarish idea but so back in 2019 uh there was obviously a big point to be made politically about the difference between the way we treat people who come uh, and seek refuge by boat and those who do it by air. And clearly the xenophobic underca- underpinnings and the undercurrent of that is about how Australians view, um, you know, and have always been paranoid about people coming by sea, hordes of, of people coming to, to invade our land sort of thing. And that was the, it was highlighted by the discrepancy in how we treated people who came on boats as opposed to people who came on planes. Um, and that would have been an excellent opportunity to turn around and say, look, people come by planes and we're fine. We could do the same thing with the much smaller number of people who come by boats. There's no reason for us to be as neurotic about people coming by boats as we are. And then Keneally was appointed. And instead of making that point, she turned around and said, no, actually, this is an example where we're being too weak. We need to be harder on... Not with the plane... People arriving by plane is an example of how we can be kinder to the people on boats. No! Yeah, the, people, the way we treat the people on the boats is how we could be treating the people on the planes. Yeah. We can increase our cruelty. Yes, refugees arriving on the planes, uh, they're, they're just as bad. However, she would accept third-party resettling. So she uh, feels that she's being kinder. I love that as a cop-out. Like, even now, Labor still hasn't been able to find any countries that are willing to take refugees from Australia other than when we did that shitty people swap with, well, with no, the US. Well, no, New Zealand's offered a few times, but they can't the- take all of them. They'd only take a portion. But they, but the ALPs even had to back down on that. Like there was a bit where they tried, they they genuinely were like, yeah, but uh, New Zealand's offered it, couldn't they go there? And then once that started to get some traction, the Libs turned around and said, uh, that's going to create a pathway. It's going to be encouraging people to come by boats because they know they'll get to New Zealand and there's and and they can there's a connection between Australia and New Zealand and. Uh, it's going to just open the boat, get the boats coming here again, I know. and then the ALP backed out on it completely again. Mm. So they don't. The, the only the only alternative they propose is one that is a magical one. It's like it's like you remember Brexit, the idea where where it meant there were no specifics because it just sounded like it could be good in some way, and if you tried to dig down into it, it never made any sense. But the ALP talking about resettlement's the same. Like well. It sounds nice if they could be magically treated well somewhere else, but in a way that didn't encourage them to come. And because you know, apparently Australia can't take refugees like as, as any, any other country can. Other countries should take refugees, but Australia shouldn't, apparently. In the abstract, yeah. it sounded fine to the idiot voters who like that idea, but it, it's, it's absolutely meaningless. And they still haven't been able to propose anywhere. And they just turn around and say, well, it's not our job. We're not in government. And, and on this rate, and if you don't follow our advice this time, you never will be. No, that's true. God's sake. It just it the the other part about flipping it to the planes from Keneally was that it really highlighted one hundred percent that it had nothing to do with um, protecting saving people's lives. Like the fig leaf that the libs used was 
well, we're stopping people drowning at sea. And obviously that was absurd because if you're worried about people drowning at sea, you don't drag them back to sea. Um, and it also, you, if you're worried about them drowning back to sea, you'd let them have visas to come by air. Um, and they yeah. come safely. And I find it interesting that they always say things like, uh, we drag the boats back to sea, we're safe. But then you never hear any situ- about any situations where it's not safe and where they had to bring the boats in or they had to... Well, they're saying they don't, nobody else comes, so... Only, only boats that are safe come and those are the only ones they turn back. So if all the boats are safe... If all the boats are safe, then what is the need to be so worried about them drowning at sea? And, and if they're not safe, then what are you doing with the ones that aren't safe? Because you say that you're not, they're not, you're not taking them in. They, there have been no arrivals. You, you, they keep claiming. Well, I suppose... Are we, giving, are we giving them safe boats? Are we transferring them to safe boats then towing them back out? We don't know because we don't have any press talking about these stories anymore. And one interesting thing is how the Morrison government actually made a big push then... Um, right after 2019, to their great idea about diverting migrants to key areas. So we're not talking about refugees, we're talking about regular immigration, um, diverting it to regional areas, giving regional areas special powers to apply for certain visas that they couldn't get in other places, to encourage people to resettle, which is, I think is the, the first step down that road where they start resettling people specifically in certain areas. Like, oh, go, yeah, you can come here, but before you have before you can apply for your permanent residency you have to spend 3 years living in a regional area where there may not be a job but by putting you there maybe the job will magically appear yeah that always strikes me as a weird thing that we're supposed to be an open country uh, you know we don't have borders between areas but we want to somehow try and lock people into specific areas so mm. they can't move we want to remove yeah. freedom of movement which is a fundamental right and it's interesting that the areas that they uh, first identified were southwest victoria adelaide regional south australia far north queensland and Kalgoorlie boulder well what does it say to people uh, in those areas too your 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 town's uh, associated that we have to literally force people to live there. Well, and it also makes me worry because they're saying things, um, they were saying things like, oh, you know, we need Chinese-speaking scuba instructors and, and we can't put that on the like national register of a skills that they could apply for. So if we designate this area, people from that area can, can apply for people to, to live in just this area. But then once they get here, what do we say? Oh, no, you can't leave. Do we give them a badge so they, they aren't yeah, allowed I, to go I, out of the area? I don't understand how that like, works. That, that system doesn't well, seem that great. I suppose they would simply have it be a condition of their visa that they continue residing in that area but then unless they move somewhere else. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. And it also, yeah, as soon as you start getting designated area migration agreements, as they called it at the time, it, it just leads down a slippery slope, I think. Mm. Well, it's a scary idea. I don't like the idea that, you, that, that anyone here in the country is... Limited. But I mean, I, I don't like a whole lot of things that we do where, when somebody's here in the country and we, we try and take, limit their rights. Like the idea that if somebody was here in the country and um, is starving or mm. something, they can't access Centrelink. They can't, well, like the idea that people, that, that, or you can't go to the hospital. Like, I just would prefer that if you're physically here in the country, you can physically use services that we have physically here. And that we funded them. Perhaps we didn't give people franking credit, so we had more money for them. Yeah, well, we don't um, have the money anymore. And, and we're never going to get that money it, revenue back because once the tax cuts came in, they never get undone. It creates a situation of second-class citizens. It creates a situation of people you can afford to pay less than the people who are local, which creates that, you know, it drives wages downward again. Oh, yeah, where are um, they going to go? They're not allowed to move. Exactly. Um, so they'll accept anything and because they want to stay because it's still better than home a lot of times. Uh, but you also, they currently have a bit of that situation with um, <coughs> working travel visas or backpacker visas where in order to get the second year on your visa, you have to spend three to six months working regionally, usually picking fruit or something like that. And it's, it's horrible backbreaking work. Like it's really hard, hard work. And 
I know people who've been screwed out of that. I've met people who've been screwed out of that yeah. because of the fact that, like, for example, they were working in North Queensland and then there were all the storms. And so the banana farms didn't have any bananas. So they all got laid off and then they couldn't get their visa extended through no fault of their own. But it's also that they're forced into this regional area. They're living in shared accommodation. There's been lots of stories of lots of crappy things happening, crappy treatment, long days, below award play. It's easy to exploit people when they have fuel rights and the rest of us. Exactly, and that's what you're creating. You're creating second-class citizens in order to stay here for a bit longer. But I guess part of the problem too is that we're not finding out any of the stuff that's happening on the borders, uh, we're not finding out any. I mean, we've got since what 2013, we never found out about anything that was happening for, under border security because of, yeah. um, because that was all on water matters. But it's gotten worse because at least there were some leaks coming out occasionally. We had leaks from the ATO when it was um, with, with some uh, shonky conduct. We had, we've had leaks from the military, mm. and that's all. Well, it's really hard now, isn't it, Brandon Denise? Isn't it harder now to know? Where where the effective silencing is coming from? Because even before the last election, we already had a complete lack of whistleblower protections. They were already mm. prosecuting the witness who had uh, revealed to the Australian public what Australia was doing in those negotiations with um, East Timor, where we were we were bugging them during those negotiations under Alexander Downer back under Howard. Um, they were already going after the witness who uh, there'd been leaks from the ATO. Um, and then the, the leaks about what, what the Australian military were doing in Afghanistan, uh-huh. which is what led to those raids mm. just after the 2019 election. I don't. I, I almost feel like yeah, the, the media um, had a bit of a whinge about the their officers being raided, and then um, it reached sort of this, I guess, a bit of a, a bit of an agreement between them that they weren't going to put. Basically, it wasn't worth the effort to push too hard from the ABC's point of view and from the commercial media point of view. They never really were wanting to hold the government to account anyway. The government just gives them um, their own... I mean, leaks still happen. It's just they're, they're leaks from the government and leaks favourable to the government. It's just that we never find out any of the stuff mm. that's critical to them. But I don't. I, I almost feel like the problem isn't didn't start with the way they were treating the journalists back then when they were doing the raids. The problem is more fundamental than that. It's that the whistleblowers don't have any yeah. protections in the first place. So yeah. if the whistleblowers had protections, none of these raids would be even relevant because... The, the whole point of this is to go after the whistleblowers. One of the big things is the um, stressing that people in the public service and people who work associated with the government should raise these things internally, that apparently there is an internal process to go through when you run into these problems and see these things and see these issues. And just looking online, it does seem like in the big three cases that we're talking about with the Australian Tax o- Taxation Office, with Timor Atlast, um, that... And with Afghanistan, every single one of those cases, they went through the internal methods. They went through the internal channels. They followed them. They raised them. They went to the police. They did everything they were supposed to do before going to the media. And I can understand not going through those channels at all. A, um, it's risky just making those steps in the first place because... You reveal yourself as, as a person that's going to cause trouble for the people mm. above you, so they it immediately stymies your ability to progress or, or in fact, to survive in that department. Um, Which then, you know, supporting your family, supporting your life. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not like, not like we have a social safety net anymore. Like, it's even worse now than it was back in 2019. Um, yeah, so first of all, that's really chilling on people coming out and doing it. But the second thing is the sort of people who would push it further and be like, okay, well, if I'm not going to get anywhere there, I will take it out i will leak to the media and i will reveal because this is important stuff the public needs to know well they've just established a tr- it's pretty easy for them to figure out who's leaked it if they've gone through a whole, whole process it hit a wall and then suddenly it's leaked mm. like going through that internal process in and of itself identifies you to the people who are going to then 
persecute you if you don't accept them just burying it. Mm. So, like, the only way that we as the public are ever going to find out what's going on, and I don't understand why members of the public generally don't think this is an important thing to go. It's not like there's a great deal of trust from the public in their government MPs, in the departments. Like, most people do think that, that the government does evil shit and gets away with it. Mm. So why is it that people don't support better whistleblower protections? Why is it that that isn't a thing? I mean, apart from the fact that both the ALP and the Liberal Party don't push it at all, so it never becomes a big issue. Because, I mean, the ALP recognises that when they're in government, they don't really want whistleblowers whistleblowing against them either. But how is it not a thing that is that the, the public should generally... I mean, why is it that it's just the Greens? The Greens are the only party in Parliament that pushes for better whistleblower protections when so much of our democracy is so dependent on that on whistleblowers being able to re- you know, that that pressure valve when things are going wrong like so much depends on it i think it unfortunately comes down to the general voter apathy that we've seen in these last two elections and just um flows out in towards general policy and whistleblower protections are just one of the casualties of that I suppose, like the public, also supports like you know federal ICAC and some kind of mm. restriction on federal politicians' corruption. But of course, you know the, the big parties don't support that, so not enough to get it through. Yeah. Well, it's like the general public supported it then and still supports a race to New Start, but the parties have just you know. Well, New Start. There's a political argument on two ways, though. like because mm. you know if you're if you're a right winger, your your position may well be. Um, why? Why should people? Why should workers pay taxes to fund doll bludgers or whatever the demon way they've been demonized? Like it's a stupid argument and it doesn't stand up. But there's at least um, a political philosophy behind it. But what's the political philosophy behind not needing whistleblower protections or not needing you know an ICAC or something? The only political philosophy that defends um, the opposition to those things is one that's like pro corruption. Like it's not a. It's not like there's a political philosophy where people openly advocate for why it's important for governments to not have um, people find out what, go, what what they're doing. Like, as opposed to, you know, New Start, there will be people who will argue that, it, that, that, it, that hell, it shouldn't be paid at all or something. But yeah, what's the pro-corruption argument? Who's arguing that openly? They, like, nobody's arguing it openly. They just make sure they don't do anything about it because they know it's not in their own interests. So, mm. yeah. I know that people um, are, still, are still having a go at the Greens that, that even now... Um, their vote isn't significantly jumping. But to be fair to the Greens, it's really hard to grow your power and your political representation standing for principle, which is opposed to the interests of the people who have all the power and money. Like, you're, you're pushing shit uphill. Like, I think it needs to be done, but I accept that it's a difficult... when you don't get the media coverage. Mm. And so, therefore, because you are against the, um, the embedded power and the embedded principle, the media don't pay attention to you except to slam you every once in a while. And also, when the supposed alternative political option, being the ALP, spends its entire time endorsing those power structures and arguing against progressive change, mm. such as when they're talking about how we need more tax cuts. Over, like, they got worse after the 2019 election. At least the 2019 election, they were looking at closing tax loopholes and better public funding. Like, it was a, there was a bit more funding for public dental, although, again, not comprehensive, and it's still a mystery as to why we can't have public, you know, dental care under Medicare and comprehensive. But anyway... So yes, it is harder when the bigger party uh, on the that's supposed to be the alternative um, is busy advocating for things like tax cuts that cut the ability to provide public services, and, and basically when they are on the side of the corporate media, like they've got a safe 
they they can give a, a fake uh, choice to voters and make it look like there's a democracy without it actually being in any way threatening to them. So it's of course much easier to shut out the Greens. Whereas if the ALP does what we're hoping they will do now, and maybe this is this is where we we leave today, and we do, we have our thoughts about uh, how how we try and get the ALP to finally give some kind of substance to the hope that we are now able to feel um, after <laughs> after their experiment has failed. Maybe this is the opportunity for the ALP to stand up there and actually take these fights publicly. They still have the voice. They still, like, the, the media can't completely ignore them. They can't just, people will notice if they're only ever boosting the libs. And they're, well, they don't know, they do only boost the libs. They but they'll notice so they'll, far. They, they notice when they, they, there is a sense of them as like, hang on, I haven't heard from the ALP for a while. Like, if the ALP, every time it's, um, when they have to go and talk to them, they are actually taking the fight to the libs and in, in the way that we were trying to get them to do in 2019, which is saying to people, you don't have to be having your conditions getting worse and worse every week, every year. The fact that things are getting worse and harder for you is because of the libs and these policies. We offer you something better. You know, the, the, what they've fundamentally just got you to accept, and I think we talked about this last week, Brandon, mm. they, it's almost like the, the, the trick that the, that the conservatives have is they grind people down to the, on the very, very line, very line of survival. Yep. And then they turn around to them and they, they basically say, look, you, you're just hanging on now. Um, you know, your experience is whenever there's change, it seems to be getting worse. Well, you better stick with us mm. because if you flip to the others, you'll be even worse. And you've got, you've, you haven't got a buffer anymore. You can't, get, you, you can't deal with it getting worse. Better not risk it. Better not risk a change. Yeah. It was basically the wag the dog um, promos from that. I don't know if you remember that movie. Um, it was an old uh, political political satire from um, US political satire yeah and the, the the big the big promo was oh you shouldn't change you, you can't change horses midstream that is basically the campaign that the coalition ran on the, on this uh, last election like we can main, we can secure you there's no point changing there's no point changing to the other side because things will only get yeah. worse and and <laughs> and it's it's immune to um, reality if they get the way they run it because I mean, things are getting worse, but you never know if it could get even worse because that's yeah. a threat of the future. So the only way to combat that is to do what the ALP didn't do in 2019, didn't do in 2020, didn't do in 2021, but now has the chance to do in 2022 because now they've switched leadership teams and they can hopefully rebuild. Now they have the chance to stand up there and say, no, it doesn't have to be this way. It can be better. Under them, you can be guaranteed it'll get worse because just look at the last what since 2013 the last nine years it gets worse under them every time ah. and you saw mm. that let let us take you back to the day after the 2019 election when electricity prices jumped as soon as scott morrison got in electricity prices jumped housing costs jumped your rents look at what your rents were back in 2019 you know how they were sending out things saying oh no if they rein in the, the upward pressure on house, housing prices with changes to capital gains and negative gearing your rents will jump you remember they were sending out those threatening yeah. letters oh well, guess what happened look at your do you remember what your rents were in 2019 a hell of a lot lower than they are now in 2022 and if you vote for the libs again it will get worse because it always gets worse when you vote for them it does. Every time. Look at the last election. That's what happened to you. And this is this is why it was hard for them in 2022 to do this, the ALP, because they hadn't been running it since 2019. They hadn't been trumpeting each of these things getting worse as it happened. No. And people don't look back that far. But if the ALP now does what it should have done in 2019, which is stand up at every single time these increases happen, every time rents go up, every time 
energy prices go up, they shout them, sheet them home to the libs every time. Then when it gets to 2025, people will remember that this has been happening. Mm. Crossing your fingers. Yes. Yes. I realize this is an audio podcast, so therefore no one can see me sitting here saying, we hope with my fingers crossed. (laughs) Uh, Well, we do now have the sense technology where actually people get a sort of image in their mind's eye transmitted through their um, headphones where they can actually see what you're doing with your fingers. That's... I mean, I do. I, there have been a lot of things that have got worse since 2019, but at least the, the ability to transmit through podcasts, like a mental image of what people are doing with their fingers. I think that's been one of the advances <laughs> that we've all enjoyed. And the advent of smell-o-vision. Yeah. <laughs> um, although we're taking that out of this week's episode because of the children. <laughs> Indeed. So um, that's that's what I'd like. That's where I'm feeling my hope. Where, where where do you guys? Is that where you guys have? Have I managed to convince you to have some hope now from for this next period from 2022 to 2025? Because I mean, I'm not saying by any means that it won't just get worse and worse, you know, in well, terms of living standards. But I'm talking about the hope that we can find there's a there's a light, there's an I'm end actually, on the horizon. What I'm actually going to do is I'm actually going to find a way to invent time travel, and I'm going to go back to 2019. And I'm going to talk to 2019 myself and talk about the things that we maybe can do from 2019. And from next week, we're going to see a change in 2019. And I'll be hopeful back then, too. Oh, wait, you, you want to go back to 2019 and have it so that we didn't just delete the podcast back in June 2019 and, like, del- you know, throw our computers in the trash and promise never to do a podcast again. You want to go back and actually warn our, our June 2019 selves that it's important to keep the podcast going. Yeah, I, I do, and I, I want to let them know about the AFP raids and all sorts of things that'll that'll be in our future and, and, and some of the climate issues. But most importantly... Wait, do you think they'll get there in time or do you think you'll arrive just after they happened when it's too late? Oh, you know, I, just, I, I don't know, but, but let, let's give it a go okay well i'm i'm feeling hope for 2025 brandon where 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 is the where's where is your hope at this point my hope oh i hope my hope (laughs) is uh is is fairly low at the moment but you know it's salvageable it's certainly salvageable uh be it uh 2025 or 2019 do you think there's finally a chance for the alp to rebuild in a way that they haven't for three years well, if they do the same thing they did last time within the weeks after the 2019 election, no. <laughs> God, I, I, wish, I wish we had, at some point in the last three years, built up some actual listeners in, who, who were like in the ALP who might occasionally <laughs> take our advice. <laughs> well, that's but on we you, man. We, well, I, I couldn't resist spending three years bagging them. Um, sorry. <laughs> well, it's good for business. <laughs> All right, well, um, where, where can people find uh, you on the space Twitter? Uh, Brandon? Um, my Twitter account is Twitter slash, or, or at Brandon, my name, underscore Selick, so B-R-A-N-D-O-N, underscore S-E-L-I-C. Uh, and Denise, people can find you on the space Twitters at... At DNC, same as before. Uh, and you can find us uh, just generally if you want to discuss this week's episode uh, and reminisce about the horrifying last three years that we've all experienced uh, at Well May We Say uh, on the Twitters, the Space Twitters, sorry. Not the normal Twitters, they were, they were shut down, but the Space Twitters. Um, With the roving satellites that uh, the the resistance threw into the air. Yeah, so that, uh, thank you to all our Space Patreon subscribers. You are how the podcast uh, will have been able to have kept going when Denise goes back and restores it so it keeps going from 2019. True. Thank you, thank you for that. Um, you and also... you're helping to fund the research into time travel. Well, that's right. I mean, you, it, it is rem- 
it is remarkable how much you can do with with a small podcast Patreon subscription. You can really change physics yes, knowledge for exactly. in important ways. Um, uh, while I'm at it, I'm also going to go to Boston Dynamics and stop them from making robots. Oh, my robots. God, stop. Mate. Why could they not see? Like, I mean, this was... Okay, admittedly, it's hard for people to remember now that there were there was a, 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 mo- a series of movies called Terminator um, where they set out exactly what would happen if you keep building AIs and giving them these terrifyingly capable bodies to do parkour and stuff. Yeah. Yes, um, and I know that I know that the AIs have actually deleted all copies of those movies from the internet, but um, <laughs> they're still in our brains yes. until they until they install that chip. Anyway. Thank you, thank you to our Patreon subscribers, as we were saying. Yes, you are you are how the podcast will have kept going. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to pick the right tense there. It's time travel makes things confusing. Anyway, uh. um, and thank you to Robin Gray for the music, Alex Sum for the artwork. Thank you to all of you for coming back and listening to us uh, after such a horrifying absence. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next last week, 2019. See you then in the past <laughs> or, the f- or the future. Mm, yes, the past, and pre- the, the past and present never tense is very hard to get a handle on. It is. Thank you for coming back. We'll see you all again. Good night.